Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Hello, we are live from the study at, uh, in New Haven on Chapel Street, a beautiful hotel. We're doing the news here. Uh, if you're walking around New Haven right now or driving around New Haven and it's one o'clock or a little bit after in the afternoon and you can hear me talking, you can come here and even sit down and watch us do what we do. Uh, this is The Nose, our weekly cultural roundtable. Let me tell you who's here. Uh, Lucy Gelman, uh, editor of the Arts Paper and host of WNHH Radio's Kitchen Sink. That's S-Y-N-C. Uh, Mercy Quay, Managing Director of External Affairs for the Educators for Excellence, hyphen Connecticut. And Brian Slattery, Arts Editor for the New Haven Independent and a producer uh, at WNHH Radio. And although I'm not really up to speed on this, I can almost guarantee you that he is in a band with a funny name right now. <laughs> uh, what, what funny name does your band have right now? Uh, it's the same long name. I'll tell it to you. We have time. Go ahead. It's Dr. Catterwall's cadre of clairvoyant claptraps. There you go. All right. So I didn't lie. We're really into brevity. So. Right. Yeah. So this is, um, by the way, apparently it's Yale's family weekend here in uh, New Haven. And I don't really know what that means, uh, <laughs> but it might mean that there are people walking around a lot in the hotel lobby, which is kind of why we wanted to be here, because we like noise and discombobulation. Uh, later on in the show, we're going to talk uh, about, I don't even, I, I don't think it has a name yet, like a, like a Watergate kind of name, but when it does, it will evolve a toothbrush and a part of the body uh, when this particular story has a name. This is, of course, about the terrible situation at the University of Hartford. Uh, where uh, two roommates were not getting along and one of them uh, decided to take this out on the other one in some fairly bizarre and unpleasant ways and then brag about it on Instagram. Uh, was it Instagram? Was it, it was Instagram, right? Instagram, yeah. Instagram. all right. So uh, we'll, we, we will later talk about that. We will also talk about some uh, controversial artwork that's been up here in New Haven, although it's not up here anymore. But it might allow us to have, I think, that's a larger conversation about whether whether work that seems to be at least somewhat eroticized represent representations of the female breast can also be uh, part of a conversation about breast cancer awareness. Is that the conversation we're having? Is that the, yep. is that the, is that the fulcrum on which this tilts Sounds back and forth? Right. I think that's right. If we have time, we'll also talk about poop emojis, which is actually what Brian and I want to talk about for the entire show. Yes. It just didn't seem very public radio to do that. Um, we're going to begin with the unfolding saga of Kevin Spacey, uh, for many years one of the most acclaimed actors on stage and film, uh, and for that matter, Netflix. Uh, in uh, in the United States um, and London, for that matter, where he's been a very important figure in the world of stage. But that's not what we'll be talking about today. Of course, um, this all began with another actor, Anthony Rapp, uh, describing an encounter that he had with a drunken 26-year-old Kevin Spacey 32 years ago uh, when uh, Anthony Rapp was 14. Spacey, uh, Rapp says that Spacey, at the end of a party where uh, Rapp was the only remaining guest, uh, Spacey, drunken and swaying in the doorway, came in and picked him up uh, the way a groom picks up a bride, I think is what Anthony Rapp said, and then tossed him down on the bed and jumped on top of him. And Anthony Rapp squiggled out and, and managed to get away. And, um, then 
didn't talk about it for 32 years. So that was the, where the things began. Now, in the last 48 hours, more people are coming forward with stories that have a similar cast to them, some of them from almost that long ago, some of them more recent, some of them even coming from the set of House of Cards, uh, whose uh, run on Netflix has now ended partly in a way, maybe in a way that's kind of connected to all this. Wow, that was a mouthful and a lungful. So, um, so Lucy, you know, first of all, and we'll get to this, this is all happening in the context of a, of a much more overarching conversation uh, about sexual harassment, sexual assault, uh, often in places where people are supposedly doing their jobs. Um, the Spacey thing is a little bit different, but I, I think maybe each of us has a different way of thinking how it's a little different. What is this story, this specific story to you? Well, for me, Colin, this story actually ties into this bigger moment that we are having where I think finally people feel empowered to come forward and say something happened. You know, we, I, I mentioned this to you um, before the show. There's the Me Too moment that sort of gained speed. I think it was three weeks ago or two weeks ago. And men are part of that. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that and to talk about that. Um, but also, there's really something going on, uh, I think, for people who are in power or think they're in power or uh, think that their jobs give them a certain amount of power who misuse that in um, what I find very distressing ways. Mm -hmm. um, although, I mean, Brian, okay, so the, with the Spacey story, when it first broke, it seemed to me to be different because it was 32 years ago. You know, and it's very hard... As I was saying before we started the show, I would be unable to give a reasonable account of something I did a year ago. Piecing together what I did 32 years ago is really hard. But now all this other stuff kind of rolls forward and yeah. fills in the spaces, and now we get a different kind of story, right? Right. I mean, right. The question of how to reconstruct a story that happened a long time ago. I mean, it's, as journalists, we know how difficult it is to construct something that happened yesterday, <laughs> let alone... 30 years ago. I mean, you know, that said, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, if you asked me what did I have for breakfast 30 years ago, I wouldn't be able to tell you. But if you said, like, tell me about this horrible thing that happened to you 30 years ago, I'd probably be able to tell you in some, in some more detail than you would want. Right? There's a, there's a part of me that, uh, you know, I, at this point, I'm, I'm, you know, you're inclined to believe the victim, right? And there's, there's certain details that you need, to, you need to try to corroborate. But the fact that something happens or didn't happen is, I, you know, it, uh, to me, it's not, it's not a question of the victim having to prove that it happened or, you know, it, it's, it's more of a question of figuring out, it, you know, if you can find other ways of corroborating the story. Right. And I also, I feel like on the one hand, I, I want to join Mercy in with Lucy and saying, obviously, yes, this is part of hashtag me too. This is part of this whole conversation. But I'm also a little bit nervous about that because each one of these stories is different, right? Mm -hmm. um, some of these stories involve bosses and their, their underlings. Some of these stories involve, well, the Kevin Spacey story doesn't really involve a boss, but it does involve an adult man with a non-adult person. And maybe there's now another story in New York Magazine that's very similar also about somebody who was 14 years old. I mean, now we're, there you're kind of talking about pedophilia, which I feel like is in a whole different category. I mean, these stories have specificity, right? I think they do, and I think for me that's why this entire story, with regards to Kevin Spacey, not the others, is about accountability and how, and sort of how long after an incident 
can we forgive? Can a person change? Are we, is there a moment of, is this a moment of uh, we need an apology or atonement in order to move on? Or is this a moment of we are dethroning all of, uh, all men in power, all figures in power and sort of humanizing them and reminding them that uh, even if this thing happened 32 years ago, and I don't mean to chuckle at that, obviously it's a serious offense, uh, but to what, to what degree does an apology um, account for that or atone for that, or is there more that we need 32 years later? Well, I think, well, yeah, I think in the environment we're in, people do seem to need more. They need, even as total spectators in this, some kind of pound of flesh uh, out of this, and I don't mean mm. to suggest a comparison to that particular play either. But, but so Lucy, this is one thing I brought up in the emails, and, and, and I may be wrong about this. Um, I, I think about what I, things that I did 32 years ago when I was drunk. Um, and actually I did, I was actually at a party one time where, and it was probably almost exactly 32 years ago, and I was really drunk, and the hostess had served pesto, and we were all dancing, and I took my shirt off and smeared pesto all, all over my torso. So I just want to get that out there. I thought, um, I thought it so, was going to be something so much more incendiary. Right, I don't want to be reading about it in BuzzFeed. I just said it, okay? But, I mean, on a more serious note, in a way, if I had done something considerably worse and more aggressive, a la Kevin Spacey 32 years ago, or, or there seemed to be some possibility, I, there's part of me that kind of would hope that Anthony Rapp would come to me first and say, you know, something has been bothering me for 30 years now. Something happened between the two of us. I don't know if you remember this because you were really drunk, blah, 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 blah. But nobody seems to do that. Now, I understand why people who have less power don't go to Harvey Weinstein and say, something has been bothering me. I understand why that doesn't happen. But does everybody have to go to BuzzFeed or tweet it or whatever? Or is there room for things to be worked out between two people? Well, it's, it's interesting, Colin, because I think there are two different moving things that sort of overlap here, right? Mm -hmm. And one is how technology has affected every single interaction in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. But the other, I think, is the specter of guilt that hangs over victims of sexual assault and harassment. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that guilt is easier to express to anyone except your harasser. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so those things coming together perhaps create, you know, this, this situation where... Uh, someone, say Anthony Rapp, says, okay, I can't, you know, I can't go to this person and say this thing happened and I really want to talk about it and I want to talk about how you've changed or if you've changed and I'm interested in forgiveness. Um, you know, maybe someone thinks this, this needs to be bigger. I think there's also a question of did Anthony Rapp want this to sort of be part of a bigger moment that right now I think has gained a lot of momentum. You know, yeah, I think that might be right. And, and so, Brian, this is a more interesting question to me back when the Anthony Rapp thing was a little bit more isolated. Because mm -hmm. now as you have these stories coming out, including some of them coming apparently right from the set of House of Cards, it, it starts to seem like, well, first of all, Kevin Spacey has, we have to talk a little bit about how Kevin Spacey reacted to this, but we'll hold that for a second. <laughs> right. Although his latest reaction is everybody's reaction, which is, I'm going in treatment. Right. Which I always feel mm. means you're going to like Canyon Ranch or something like that. <laughs> yes. You know, and it's going to be mostly some good food and exercise, and maybe you know once a day you'll see a counselor. But um, but it, it is sort of like what is the pound of flesh? You know, what what's let's say that this story achieves an angle of repose right here, and there are no new developments. What what is an appropriate? Like, should he never work again? Should we never enjoy his work again? Should we? I mean, he seems like a pretty awful person, actually. Right. I mean, you're getting at like. 
something that's been bothering me also because it, you know when things play out uh, you know in the public like they are now, there's a part of me that sees this as a it, you know to some extent it's like a form of theater the way that politics is, and you start to question the motivations of everybody involved, mm. and you know including like the public itself. You know that there's certain there's certain narratives that the public likes, right? That they. Right. Yeah, they, they, it's, it's best when people go to jail, but if they don't go to jail, it's great when their careers are ruined. And if they don't get their careers ruined, you know, they, they, go, into, they go into therapy or whatever it is. And, you know, it, it, it does get you wondering about, like, how much of this is... Not that I don't think the problem is serious. It's more that I wonder how much what we're seeing is kind of like the easy targets that you can make into narratives that the news likes. Mm -hmm. And the sort of the, the bigger question of like how pervasive it is, and mm -hmm. how much you know, uh, uh, people the, who aren't as high profile are doing the same kinds of things, but it's not as like sort of it, it's it's harder to take them down in public the way that you take a celebrity down in public. You know, the more like systemic questions of how deep it goes. Mm -hmm. Like these things are not things that narratives accrue to very easily. You know, so there's a part of me that wonders how much of the pound of flesh is kind of just like, let's take out the easy targets so everybody feels like we did our job and we can go home. And right, and, and <laughs> I, I, you know, if you, you know, if, yes, first of all, whom the gods would destroy, they first make famous. Yeah. And, and then, right. like, you don't want to be part of an Uber narrative either. I mean, R. Kelly does icky <laughs> stuff too, you know, but like, he did his icky stuff. He didn't do his icky stuff, he didn't get caught up in this particular right. moment. So, I don't know, Mercy, what about that? Like, what, I don't know, I, I I stopped liking Kevin Spacey when he hosted the Tonys, and he was kind of an obnoxious show-off. But, I mean, I'm wondering how to react to his art and any future art he might make, too. I mean, so what for me, what this did for me is it actually showed me that Kevin Spacey is a lot more like his character of House of Cards than uh, I wanted him to be as well, a fan. And uh, for me, that I think, I think that speaks to why it had to come out uh, as big and, or, you know, as bigly, <laughs> or as in public as it did specifically because, right, you, I, uh, when you come from a victim's perspective, if you feel, especially, um, I think it was a, a production assistant in the first season of House of Cards who recently came forward um, saying that she didn't feel like there was a way or an avenue for her to make this complaint about Kevin Spacey. You kind of need to, you feel a pressure to, I won't say you need to, but you definitely feel a pressure to dethrone them in the public sphere because you don't have avenues to do so in a different way. Um, and for me, I get that. I, I get that there's this moment and that's why I bring it back to accountability. What I think is going to happen to your point, Lucy, is that uh, where victim, where a victim's perspective and technology collide, we're going to start to see there become a new baseline of how we handle these, right? Mm -hmm. We're at a boiling point right now and there will be a baseline. We will hold people accountable. Ideally, we will start to hold people accountable and instead of normalizing the incident, we will normalize the, the, the consequence. Yeah, I, I mean, well, one, one I, thing. I have to interrupt because I have a crazy story, which is that <laughs> Which is, is that? Pesto? Well, I hope so you apologize not to the pesto. Only a couple of days before the, the Kevin Spacey and Brian Singer thing came out, we had just sat down to have our son watch The Usual Suspects, mm -hmm. which both of us think is this great movie. Yeah. And and the question of like how to feel about their output afterward, it's like we we really we suddenly had that question for real. You know, we had just shown our son this movie, and then we're talking about how great it is, and then three days later we learn. 
these like horrible things about the, the star and director of that movie. And we thought like, did we just do a terrible thing by showing our son this movie? But the fact is that we, we do really like the movie. And, mm. you know, it's, and, you know, we didn't tell, we didn't tell our son about all, all the horrible things that these people had done. And like, during, so last week he's like, boy, The Usual Suspects sure was a good movie, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we talked about this almost a year ago on this exact show right. with uh, Nate yeah. Parker, mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Birth of a Nation, which I watched the other day and I was just like, I re this is a really great piece of art. And mm -hmm. how much, and this was the topic of the show, I think it was last year, how much of how much can we separate the man from the art or the person from the art and sort of forgive, forgive them in, uh, when it comes to their art and sort of appreciate it as mm -hmm. a separate thing altogether? And how much do we have to hold the man accountable? Luciana, you were going to say something before. Yeah, talking, yeah I, I was going to say, you know, Mercy, I completely agree with you that that moment is coming. And my hope for it is that as we go forward, the uh, the expectation will not be on the victims and you know i'm, I'm right. thinking of the me too moment that i think this kind of comes out of and one big question that i had and that was sort of echoed around around the internet and outside of the internet was why is the expectation still that the victims will come forward and say that they've been sexually assault assaulted and um and harassed well because the perpetrator won't right the just oh so, so there, there are kind of two schools of thought. So mm. one is if, if every woman, and I saw men who, who did this too, came forward and, and talked about being sexually assaulted and harassed in the workplace, on the street, in their daily interactions. If, if that many people come forward, it will create this groundswell where, mm. where people suddenly have to pay attention. And I did have a number of male friends who said, I had no idea. I mean, they really said I had no idea to, to me and, and to a number of female friends that I had. Um, I, I think what I wanted to hear afterwards also from those men was I have no idea, I believe you, and I was one of the perpetrators right. at one point. Mm -hmm. And what I heard instead was, wow, I had no idea, I'll be a better advocate, but I want you to know it was never me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think actually, to, so with this particular situation with um, Kevin Spacey and uh, sort of the ambiguous nature of the incident 32 years ago, right. um, what I'd hope, and this is kind of back to your point, is I would hope that men sort of look at this and say, this is actually, it's so ambiguous that I could have been in a particular mm -hmm. situation, maybe not with a 14-year-old, right? But maybe I've been in an equally ambiguous situation with with someone, a peer of mine, and what, what is my accountability? What's my uh, duty to report now? Right. I, I, I want to go back also to what Brian was talking about before with that whole question of, of how you, I mean, first of all, I think you didn't do your son any harm by, at least you didn't do your son that harm by showing him usual suspects. Whatever that movie does <laughs> yeah. to scar him, yeah, yeah, of it course. doesn't have so much to right. do with Kevin Spacey and his latent uh, yes. uh, state of, of corruption. But I mean, to me, Artists are a little bit like football players at times, right? Mm -hmm. In the sense that, you know, it's like, well, this guy, he might have, like, done something pretty bad to one of his fellow students, but he's a tremendous quarterback, and we're just going to make this happen, you know? And, and we do it a little bit with Roman Polanski or, or whoever, right? It's kind of you look at him and go, well, that sounds pretty bad. I mean, Roman, Roman Polanski is the perfect example yeah. of somebody to keep bringing up. But he's uh, Roman Polanski, so yeah. he's a keeper, right? And so we're just going <laughs> to somehow or other going to get past this somehow. And so I think that's different 
I think excusing Roman Polanski or anybody like that just because he's a great artist and we can't throw him in the ash bin yet because we need more art from him is different from here's this completed work of art. It happens to feature Kevin Spacey. We happen to know more things about Kevin Spacey than we used to. I think whatever, still, I, I don't know that that corrupts the whole piece of art. I mean, it, you know, in a sort of productive way, the, the part that I like about this is that I think that like the more times we go through this, the better we'll get at this, right? right. That, there's, that there's a lot to be said for uh, just having information. Right. You know, and there's, it, it, you'd like to, I mean, the optimist in me says that like all of, all of this new information coming out may eventually lead to more information coming out all the time. Mm -hmm. And then we'll just be better at sorting this out instead of being caught flat-footed all the time, you know, going, having to you know, reevaluate what happened in the past and we get to deal with it as it's happening, which would be really, really quite lovely. Or the other thing that may happen is uh, the baseline that I was talking about, what may start to happen is individuals go to that person no matter how high they're thrown yeah. or, and that person on the throne will be uh, willing to be uh, be accused and go through all the proper uh, protocols for that because the alternative is your career is over right mm. if you if if your victim is able to kind of hold your career in their hands and cradle it there before you as it <clears throat> like beats right. in their hands right. and the only option that you have the only alternative is to handle my accusation with the with all of the respect that it requires, or I crush it, mm -hmm. right? Then the baseline becomes. Right. That would be great. Right, exactly. Mm. The baseline becomes <laughs> now we're working in a more yeah. amicable way. Right. So we're almost out of time here. But um, you know, speaking of Lucy, of Brian's point about we're getting better at this every time, you know, I mean, I did think that people were maybe smarter than they would have been five or 10 years ago when Kevin Spacey responded initially to this whole thing. I mean, the first paragraph or whatever was pretty good. He said, you know, I don't remember this this way, but that sounds really horrible, I'm really sorry, whatever. And then he had this whole thing, but I'm living as a gay man now, blah, 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 blah. And like people right. just got it right away, right? They just, people kind of pulled that apart oh, yeah. instantly. And I wonder if they would have done, I mean, are, maybe is that a sign maybe we're getting a little smarter about how these things get? I don't know, I hope so. Um, I, yeah, I, I really hope so. I think there's sort of this whole list of like, uh, here's why it happened and here's why I'm really not that culpable. And, um, and, and so I, I was very glad to see that people sort of went right after that because it, it sort of was um, really not, not a way to apologize. And it, it was also just far, far out of left field and uh, I think inappropriate. Yeah, I think it falls into the category of changing the subject. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, we're gonna take a little break here. When we come back, we're gonna talk about a story that I think will make all of you wanna just run your toothbrush through the dishwasher just to be on the safe side, which I, it's not a bad idea anyway. Uh, so we'll be back right after this. All right, we're back. We're on Chapel Street in New Haven at the beautiful study, uh, a wonderful hotel. Uh, like, why are we here? Why are we doing our show from here? It's a pretty good question. Um, one reason is it's, it's, it's so easy to do our show at the study. They take such good care of us and they make it so easy for us that it's like being almost at our studio. We're also between studios right now. We have closed down a studio that we had on Audubon Street for many years. We will be opening up um, probably sometime, well, we'll be gradually opening up, I guess is the way to put it, but sometime around the new year, um, we will have, we think, fully functioning studios uh, at Gateway Community College here in New Haven. So that'll be our new New Haven presence. But meanwhile, 
particularly on our show, we don't like to go too long without visiting our friends in New Haven. We want you to think of us as your public radio station. So we've come down here, like as I, as I say, the study, it's almost as good as being in the studio, almost as comfortable, and a lot more fun in various ways too, just having people be able to drop by and stuff. All right, so Brianna Brochu, if that's how we say her name, it's a good name, actually, Brianna Brochu and Jazzy Rowe. It's just too bad they can't be something other than yeah. you know, what they actually wound up being. But they wound up being were roommates who did not like each other at the University of Hartford. Uh, ultimately, though, uh, it all culminated uh, recently in an Instagram post from um, Brianna Brochu, who confusingly posts as Breezy Bumble. So she's Brianna Brochu, but she's Breezy Bumble. She says, finally did it. Yo girl got rid of her roommate after one and one half month of spitting in her coconut oil, putting moldy clam dip in her lotions, using tamp rubbing used tampons on her backpack, putting her toothbrush places where the sun doesn't shine, and so much more. I can finally say goodbye to Jamaican Barbie. So Brianna Brochu, if you haven't followed the story, is a, a young white woman from Harlington, Connecticut, uh, obviously as is being suggested in this post. Um, her roommate was black. That seemed to be part of this whole dynamic. Um, actually, she identifies herself in, in a corresponding post as a young African-American woman. So um, the president of University of Harvard has gotten involved. Brianna Brochu has had her charges kicked up to superior court, which is to say they are now much more serious criminal charges against her. She's also been expelled from the university. Um, there's, Mercy, there's something about this story that um, I should reintroduce the panel too, actually. So let me go back and do that. So I just began to talk to Bercy Quay. She is a Managing Director of External Affairs for Educators for Excellence in Connecticut. Lucy Gelman is editor of the Arts Paper and the host of WNHH's Radio's Kitchen Sink. Brian Slattery is arts editor for the New Haven Independent and a producer at WNHH Radio. You know, so Mercy, there's something about this story that kicked a bunch of tripwires. I mean, in some ways, it's an old story. Two roommates who don't get along and they're just you know, doing anything they can to sort of get rid of each other. Uh, and one of them maybe is going a little bit too far. In another way, it's a story I've never quite heard. I mean, I've never heard it get quite this ugly and visceral and racial. Um, but there's some way it's, it's kicked tripwires. It's like an international story yeah. right now. Uh, and, and I'm trying to figure out which thing it is or maybe it's a bunch of things that came together. I think it's a bunch of things that came together. Um, so for me, it makes my skin crawl, mm -hmm. uh, specifically because it feels like, why bother? Most of the things she was doing to, uh, the, the girl's name is Jazzy, or mm -hmm. that's what she goes by. Yeah, she goes by um, Most of the things she was doing to Jazzy, Jazzy didn't even know for at least a month, mm -hmm. and, I mean, well, we're, we're here now, two months into the school year. So it, it sort of feels like, why bother? How long were you doing this? She had felt, uh, Jazzy reported feeling uh, severe throat pain for more than a month. Uh, the the health center couldn't identify what was going on. They couldn't diagnose her with anything after testing. I think the tripwires that it um, sets off for me is sort of that feeling that maybe up until now I didn't have language for, that feeling of being a person of color on a predominantly white campus and sort of being paranoid because you don't exactly know who is doing what to you at any particular time. And Jazzy actually um, speaks to this in her hour and a half long Facebook Live video. Uh, she reads off the post and at the end, uh, she, after Brochu, Brochu uh, itemizes all the things she has done, she ended off the list with, 
and so much more. And so Jazzy yeah. in the video says, I don't know what the so much more is. And that fear of, of there are racists around you, or at the very least, people around you who don't like you, who are poisoning you secretly, is sort of this insidious moment that we're in in America, right? Sort of the, sort of the I, don't, I don't know who feels what towards me, um, and the extent to which they'll go to, to sort of exhibit that hatred for me. I think you really summed a lot of this up really, really well. I think that sort of <laughs> gets at it. Because, it, Brian, it's a story about masks to a certain degree. We all wear masks yeah. as we deal with each other. And we hope that what's under the other person's mask isn't so far removed from their presentation of self that it would horrify us. But here it is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, I, mean I, I didn't... I didn't articulate my thoughts as well as Mercy just did, but certainly like what, what hit me was how one-sided it was. Mm -hmm. like, the idea that she had, it wasn't like a conflict between roommates, right. it was just one roommate secretly torturing another one. And I mean, to me, the, the, thing, that it usually, the thing that I was pleased to see is, is a university turning this over to the to law enforcement, which is like, to, it, it feels to me like an unusual move. You know, there's, it, there's, I think there are, there are more cases of universities trying to sort of keep these kinds of things in-house, mm -hmm. right? They do their best to sort of avoid police entanglement with all kinds of things that happen on campuses. And to me, it was refreshing to see a university finally go like, you know, this is a, this is a crime. Right. It's not like a violation of the student ethical code. It's a crime. But did that take you know? time? Am I correct in thinking that that took time? Well, Jazzy's report of this is that um, she was approached by campus security. And after maybe a week or so, some time had passed after um, uh, addressing it with campus security, they approached her in her new dorm, because she had switched rooms mm. with the former roommate. Mm. Uh, and. Uh, according to her report in the Facebook Live video, she says she was told to leave it alone, that it was settled. Um, Which is a typical university response to exactly. these Exactly. Well, um, I, I thought what she was told, not that it was settled, but to leave it alone, not to make public comments about it while they were trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, well, maybe I'm using, maybe, maybe I, uh, I use settled, but yeah. the sentiment from the video was leave it alone, don't go beyond this, um, don't make public comments, I think that's right. Mm which actually inspired her to post the Facebook Live video, which mm. is how this thing got rolling. Right. So, I, I, well, although one thing that I would say, my reaction, Lucy, maybe this is because I'm getting older or something, is that like a university, although it's prepared to deal with a lot of different kind of stuff, first of all, I really think Brian's point is a really important one. That, and that's not just true of universities. I mean, yeah. one of the problems with the whole Catholic Church problem was Absolutely. that so few of these cases were ever turned over to the police they were dealt with institutionally by the Catholic Church. You know, you, there's times where you just get law enforcement involved because it's a problem. Now this one, you know, I mean, I think universities are well set up to try to figure out what's going on between two roommates because they have that happen a lot. And it might have looked to them at first like this was the kind of thing that they could deal with at that level until they realized the, the extreme nature of it. But I don't, I don't know that I necessarily fault University of Hartford for taking a while to figure out how big, I mean, maybe they got shamed into it. I, I can't really tell from the way the story's been laid out. But I think you, you want to give the institutions a little time to sort of mm -hmm. say, well, what is this before we turn your daughter over to the cops or whatever? I think uh, that's exactly why, for me, both of these stories, so the Kevin Spacey story and this story, has this underpending of the responsibility of public relations officers, mm -hmm. right? Um, in this one, the message that the, was it the provost that put it out? 
um, or the president of the university ended up putting out uh, a statement saying, Boshu is no longer a student here, which is ambiguous. Super ambiguous. <laughs> right? it's, it, we mm. don't know if she left on her own accord or if she was asked to leave, if she was expelled. We don't know exactly what happened there. Um, same with... Uh, but I, Kevin, I interpreted that as code for yeah, absolutely. she's been expelled. And sometimes right? lawyers sure. get involved, too, and tell yeah. you what, to, what you can say and what you can't yeah. say. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, the, the other piece about this, so the parallel with the Kevin Spacey situation is... Uh, he fired, well, his publicist is no longer working with him. And I can only imagine, well, what, what, what part did she have in mm -hmm. saying and adding this diversionary mm -hmm. phrase into right. your comment? Yeah. Or sometimes publicists say, look, don't make me say any more stuff that's yeah. going to turn out to be not true. Yep. And, and that's why they walk away. You know, Lucy, there's another part of this, and that's the Internet part of this. First of mm -hmm. all, Brianna Brochu was apparently so confident in her her online network that she felt very comfortable boasting uh, about stuff that she's now in criminal court for. Uh, and I do feel like that's one of the places where there are masks, right? Like, if you doubt that there's racism in the world, just read the comment thread of this story. Oh this, my God, yeah. yeah. Like, in the Hartford Current. Or any Hartford story, yeah. <laughs> any story where the comment section isn't moderated. Right. But, <laughs> but really, any Connecticut is certainly not, uh, not alone in this, but any story. I mean, I, f I feel like you read the comment section of the current, the register. It's it's like a clan rally. Yeah. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's really really hard to read, and so I I think, you know, that's always something to be aware of. Right. I think that this is one of the places where people feel they, they have an impenetrable mask sometimes because they're using an online alias. I mean, I was reading the Hartford Current comment thread for this story. I was horrified by the things that were being said. Hmm. And of course, they were being said by people who are utterly untraceable. You know, they have this just some kind of online handle that's a few letters and numbers. Um, all right, we do have to kind of switch gears here so that we can get to a story that was written about by two of our guests, uh, both Lucy and Brian, uh, covered in uh, installation, exhibition, not really quite sure what to call it. Gorilla art yeah. installation? An art installation. All right, so Lucy, maybe rather than listening to me fumble through this, uh, you can set this up for us. Sure. Uh, so Bill Saunders, who is a local um, artist and provocateur, uh, did an exhibition. It's actually the second year that he did it called Bust Up. So B-U-S-T space O-O-P. <laughs> it's been a day. Um, and he set up these... Um, these images of, of very busty women, mostly from black exploitation and exploitation uh, era films, and said this is about breast cancer awareness. It was during the last week of October. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And for people walking by, um, he said, hey, let me show you these images. I'm really invested in making sure folks know about breast cancer awareness, and this is going to do a lot more than standing out on the sidewalk with a clipboard, uh, as you might see a person for the Avon Walk, for instance. Right. The question, I guess, Brian, is it's going to do a lot. Is it going to do, it's going to do a lot more. Is it going to be doing a lot more of the same thing that the person with the clipboard would be doing? Because a lot of these images yeah. were... I mean, they were just, they, they, if you didn't have any context for them, they were just kind of very graphic was, boob pictures. It was most definitely up to Bill to make sure that the point had gotten across, and he had to do that in person. Yeah. You know, so, so while he was there, if, if he saw some people staring at them, he would run over to them and explain what was going on. Um, and to some extent, like, it, it, I, 
I think like the, the best way to put it is that I think that the explanation is sort of part of the piece, right? Mm -hmm. If he wasn't there, right. it wouldn't work. And I think that he knew that. But he was, I, I mean, he was most definitely playing with the, I mean, is there exploitation? Absolutely. But, you know, what, what, he was, what he said that he was enjoying was the idea that, you know, people were coming in and they were, like, basically getting turned on by these things and then made to feel really bad about getting turned on by these things. And, like, that was sort of the, that was sort of the, for, for, for people that came by, like, that would be the, the, the hook of the piece for them. But I also heard you know. a number of people saying, so, so yes, it did necessitate going inside to see a number of facts about breast cancer, for instance. Yeah. But I had people saying, I had no idea that my alcohol consumption affected my risk of breast cancer. Or <laughs> I had no idea that, you know, I have uh, 32 double A's. I had no idea that I was just as likely as someone who has uh, 40 double D's to get breast cancer. Well, and, and so... Yeah, like what was great is like how much the exhibit actually worked, right? Like right. we, I watched person after person come in and leave actually kind of informed. <laughs> well, one of the people you know. in the picture was Richard Roundtree, right? Who's a yeah. man who had breast cancer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It felt know. a little so bit what's your like, take on this? I was going to say, it felt a little bit like a performance art piece, right? So it, it, it couldn't work if Bill wasn't standing there sort of informing people that, oh, no, 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 you have to go inside in order to experience it, right? <laughs> yes. if, if he, if at any point he decided to walk away from the exhibit, he had to get someone else to do the performing for right. him. Right, which he did. did. He did, yeah. 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 Um, but I, I will say, as, as part of that mercy, I absolutely agree with you that it was almost part of the, the installation, and he was so good at it, and that's one thing that I um, was skeptical of at first and then impressed by. So one woman across the street sort of had this very uh, sort of puzzled and bewildered look on her face. She was right outside of Shake Shack and Bill ran across the street through traffic on Chapel, came back across the street with her, <laughs> and she said, I was looking and I was thinking, what the hell is that? <laughs> and of course he explained it, and then she came over to me and she said, it really is about awareness. And, and she wasn't, I mean, she was completely, you know, hook, line, and sinker. She was with it. Right, there's one, it might have been the same person in your story, I don't remember Lucy, but there was one woman who said, yeah, well, breasts are a part of life. In fact, breasts are Our life. Mm -hmm. uh, that, so that's I, actually an artist who works with Bill, yeah. uh, named That Stina. was the person who covered for him when he had to yeah. run to oh, yeah. feed the meter for his car. Well, I thought that was a great line, but Lucy, <laughs> I mean, the other possible yeah. reading of this, and maybe it doesn't matter, um, but it kind of circles us back to Kevin Spacey and intentions and stuff like that. I mean, looking at the art, you could also conclude that Bill himself is somebody who's maybe even a little bit unusually turned on uh, by breasts and by breasts shown that way. And then, which is entirely possible. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably not something that he would disagree with. Yeah, and then has found something to attach to that, some intellectual and, and public health-oriented justification to staple onto that. I don't know. Does that matter? I. I think what ended up mattering for me, I, I mean, I think there's a, the question of intention always, Colin. Mm -hmm. And I think, yes, like Bill, you know, if, if Bill did not enjoy painting breasts, I don't think he would paint them. I don't think, because it's a huge time investment, right? Right. right. Um, you have a lot of time to think. <laughs> so I think doing. the question of intention is there. And, and some women responded to my article by messaging me on Facebook and saying, I don't buy it. I totally don't buy it. And I think that discussion is great. Um, but I well, he you know, in fact he had that phone conversation with somebody who didn't. He did, which was fantastic. Yeah. With a woman who did not, and right. so yeah, Tawana, her, um, Tawana in your story. Yeah. yeah, actually, so this morning I'm reading your story, and I was like, Tawana of New Haven. I know a Tawana. There can't be very many Tawanas. <laughs> there, there are apparently because this wasn't the one. 
goodness. Yeah, so but, but this was if we, her. If we were to switch tracks here, we would have maybe three minutes to talk about poop emojis. And I feel like it's worth it. Let's talk about poop. So, um, I mean, we, we need to cover the waterfront here. And we've got most of the bodily functions pretty well covered so far. So there's something called the Unicode Consortium. They're the people who ultimately decide what, what's going to be an emoji and what's not. According to a new report from BuzzFeed, um, frowning poop, a frowning poop emoji is threatening to tear the group apart. Um, they're having a big argument about whether there needs, there is already a smiling poop emoji. I think we could establish that fact. Uh, there are these almost Socratic kinds of conversations going back and forth digitally in this group. Uh, one of the designers is writing, will we have a crying pile of poo next? Pile of poo with tongue sticking out? Pile of poo with question marks for eyes? Pile of poo with karaoke mic? Um, and and uh, another one is saying, well, maybe we need also, we'll also need to have, if we have a smiling one and a frowning one, we need to have a neutral one. Um, so, Brian, I mean, I my, you... my response reading that was like, please, God, yes. <laughs> like, I want all of them. I want, them. I want each and every one of them. You know, the, I'll then pepper my professional correspondence with. Right. Lucy, do you have a, t a hot take on this, as we say? Yeah, <laughs> I, I was all about it. Am I the only person who uses the poop emoji? So when do you no. use the poop emoji? If that's not <laughs> prying into your business too much. Um, I, I think I use it for, for a number of things. Rarely talking about poop. Um, right. But, but you know, to say, um, I, usually if I'm talking to someone... Did you hear the Colin McEnroe show today, what a, and then pile of poop emoji? Yeah, or like, did you see this movie? It was a stinking... Yeah, <laughs> boom. All right. Or to call out BS. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Something's yeah. crappy. Yeah. 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 So, Mercy, you get the last word on this. Oh, gosh, that's pressure. Um, I think it is a slippery, slippery slope. Um, <laughs> There's no way to avoid... Yeah. There's no way to He's avoid not. these things. Um, yeah. To go from smiling pile of poop to frowning pile of poop, when really the sentiment is just the same, right? I don't know that there should have been a smiling pile of poop anyway, because... Well, there's that whole idea that Eskimos have 36 words for snow, which I think yeah. is not true. And what about but... like a poop with like a graduation cap on? Like I feel like what I would that use convey? that. What does that convey? I just want the Although, option. Although, you know, if you potty train a child, that's like boom. There we go. See? Right. So the one instance <laughs> deserves an emoji. Right. Do you know how many people are potty training children? All right. So uh, you, you know how many people aren't. As it I think out. someone anyway. raised their hand back there like I'm right, potty yeah, trained. Okay. Uh, represent. So uh, let's uh, take a little break. We'll come back. We're going to make some recommendations. Archaeologists of the future will judge us harshly, but they'll be impressed by our careful consideration of poop emojis as a secondary language. Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPoop and me, Kyone Wolf, with help from the big kid Katie Talarski and our intern Evan Sobel. Amanda Fish did something bad to Betsy Kaplan's toothbrush, and the part of Bill Curry was played by Blake Bortles. We'll be back on Monday with a scramble following the twists and turns of the weekend news. And now, back to Colin. To Colin. So yes, we're here in New Haven with a wonderful, <clears throat> and I must say very woke, um, a panel of Lucy Gilman, Mercy Quay, and Brian Slattery. Um, I want to add my thanks to the team that got us down here, especially the big kid, Katie Tularski, uh, who came down here and helped uh, Jonathan McNichol and uh, Evan get things set up. I, as usual, I'm sort of Kevin Spacey on this set. I don't really do much. I just 
green. Um, so um, it's time to make some recommendations. Uh, Brian, I'll have you go first. What are you going to recommend? Um, since we're in New Haven, I think the best recommendation I can give is that there are a whole bunch of really good live music shows coming up. Mm -hmm. um, so rather than, rather than recommending a specific one, I would say that each and every person should just look at the schedules for um, Cafe Nine and the Outer Space mm -hmm. and pick two things that they like the best and go see them. Because there, the there's a lot. Outer Space is like incredible stuff. Yeah, you there's like a guided, lot. Guided by Voices is coming, I, I think. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm exhausted looking at how much I'm going to have to cover. It's it's. It's a great problem. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Mercy, you want to go next? Yeah. So, in the vein of uh, music ops, um, the Elm City Music Festival is happening right now. Throughout the city, uh, several different venues are doing live music. I think it, it's going on tonight, continues tonight, and I think tomorrow's the last night. So, Terminal 110 has a bunch of live performances. Uh, Olives in Oil uh, tonight has a bunch of live performances, and tomorrow. Um, and panels on how to get your music off the ground. I mean, it's, a, it's going to be a really great festival, and it concludes tomorrow night. The other thing is uh, Elm City Communities and the Ground Steeding Foundation teamed up, and they're sponsoring a viewing of the documentary Whose Streets mm -hmm. that's happening mm -hmm. at um, Criterion Theater, right? Um, November 16th. Uh, it's a documentary that follows uh, really the field of organizing after the Mike Brown um, shooting. Mm. So that's happening on November 16th at the Criterion Theater. Right. It's played up in Hartford at Real Artways before uh, to great acclaim. All right, Lucy Gilman. I have two quick ones. No, first. you don't even have to go quick. we got lots of time. <laughs> um, so first, since we're in New Haven, I want to recommend Top Dog Underdog, which is at Collective Consciousness Theater right now. It's a play by Susan Laurie Parks. And um, mm. it's it's really yeah. just very well done. It opened last... It won a Pulitzer, didn't it? it yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's beautifully acted mm -hmm. as well at Collective Consciousness Theater, which is this little, um, I think, local gem in Erector Square in New Haven's Fairhaven neighborhood. It is on weekends now through November 19th. It just opened last night. Tickets are $20, but if you can't pay for a $20 ticket, Collective Consciousness has a pay-what-you-wish night, and they have a free night, which I think is really wonderful com for community members. The other thing I wanted to recommend is a new website by a Connecticut woman named Jocelyn Ruggiero. It's called Foodie Fatale, and she's been doing this blog about food and um, sort of eating with gusto and passion for a while. She just rolled out a new website, and it's all about... Um, body positivity and loving what you eat and also um, sort of being good to your body. And I love that this business is owned and operated by a woman. So her new website is Foodie Fatale, F-O-O-D-I-E-F-A-T-A-L-E dot com. It's worth checking out. Yeah, sounds great. <clears throat> we'll check it out. All right. So uh, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, that all sounds really great, all that cool New Haven stuff, but I don't live there and I'm too much of a slug to go out and do anything anyway, um, I will now give you something that you can binge uh, in the privacy of your, your TV screen. Uh, and that is called Fortitude. It's uh, streaming on Amazon Prime. It takes place in this kind of strange, almost impossible uh, Arctic line community where people from all kinds of very, very northern cultures, a lot of Scots and Irish there, but also a lot of Icelandic, and I think it's sort of supposedly in Norway, although it's kind of hard to tell. Anyway, there's been at, at least one murder, uh, and uh, Stanley Tucci is sent improbably by Scotland Yard, although he's not British. Um, it doesn't always make a tremendous amount of sense, but the, boy, the atmosphere of it, the shooting of it, the the 
the world that is created there, if you, particularly if you are attracted these days by hygge or whatever that Danish word is for, you know, really kind of like enjoying the whole idea that it's really cold somewhere, but you're not cold at this moment. Uh, anyway, it's, it's really beguiling and terrifically acted. A lot of actors I've never seen before uh, who, are, who are terrific. So it's called Fortitude. The second season just went up. I haven't watched that. I'm still crawling through the first season. Uh, Dennis Quaid is added in the second season, and that's probably going to be a, a pretty good thing. And then um, I'll also recommend Measuredly, because I... I these days, whenever I go to the theater, I like find worms in the apple. I'm going through a little phase with that. But I saw Seder last night, which is this very interesting play at Hartford Stage Company. It takes place in um, modern Hungary and modern Budapest. Uh, but it's about a family that is haunted by shadows, A, from the, um, the Nazi era uh, in Hungary, and B, by the communist and sort of KGB-driven uh, period that followed that one. Uh, they have uh, ghosts and shadows over their lives from both of these periods. They're using the occasion of a Seder, most of them because they've been raised in a secular communist country uh, for, for most, most of their lives. They don't really know how to do a Seder. So an American man has come over to lead them through a Seder. And so all kinds of really, really interesting issues came up. Uh, come up. I realized that I didn't really know that much about the state of Hungary here in 2017, so I went home and read about it. So yeah, I'm going to recommend Seder. I mean, I could find some things to tell you about it that I, I have questions about, but I'm not going to. I also want to mention next week, I haven't really figured this out. I haven't figured out how to do this. But first of all, Jonathan McPants is not going to be here next week to produce the show. And Ragnarok, the Thor movie, is opening today. And I want to do like a Ragnarok holiday special. Ragnarok it's my favorite sort of, holiday. Yeah, it's like the Norse. You want to, yeah. Maybe you should be back on. Oh it's going to be the Norse end of the world. We're going to do like an all-star <laughs> celebrity special. What are those things where you kind of go, oh, who's at the door? Wow, it's, you know, it's Kevin Spacey. No, shut the door again. But no, or, or I don't know. We're going to do a Ragnarok holiday special. It's going to be beautiful and heartwarming. And then Loki will eat our entrails or something. Anyway, uh, thanks so much to all of you who came out to see us today and to this wonderful panel, Mercy Quay, Brian Slattery, the great Lucy Gelman. Thanks to our team from WNPR. We'll be back with The Scramble on Monday. Talking about this and talking about that. Talk about everything as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain. Vernon, I already said that one. Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah. Come on the rain.